0: Get ready for the very latest organizational and human development research briefing from the Oxford Review, the number one source of analysis, research, and thinking to help you become the most impressively well-informed and knowledgeable professional around so that you can lead any organization to success in any situation. You are listening to the Organizational Success Academy podcast from the Oxford Review. With your host, the Editor-in-Chief, David Wilkinson.
1: So today I'm talking with Professor Adrian Furnham, who's Professor of Psychology at UCL in the UK and the Norwegian Business School in Oslo. With a rather distinguished career in psychology, Adrian's published 92 books and over 1,200 peer-reviewed journal articles. Earlier this year, Adrian published an interesting paper with a colleague from UCL, Simi. The paper entitled The Dark Triad, Emotional Intelligence, Self-Monitoring, and Executive Coach Effectiveness and Satisfaction was published in Coaching, the International Journal of Theory, Research, and Practice. Welcome, Adrian. It's a real pleasure to meet you at last. Can you just start off by giving us a little bit of your background and what kind of led to this study? Yes,
2: I've been an academic for many, many years, and I've had, of course, very talented students over time. I have been involved in coaching and evaluating coaching, and I had a a PhD student, now a lecturer. In fact, she got my job at UCL, uh, Dr. Simi Grover, who herself was a coach and had access to coaches through uh, a number of organisations. And there's a lot of work being done on people who are being coached, but very little work on coaches themselves. So we thought it was a wonderful opportunity to explore the world of coaches and their psychology. In fact, in the end, we got 500 business coaches to sign up to our, our study. So we were lucky in that regard, and we thought we'd explore something a bit different compared to the usual
1: yes it certainly is unusual in is that it looks at the dark triad traits of coaches rather than coaches can you just explain a little bit about the dark triad for anyone who's unfamiliar with the term or or Um, may not um, be in psychology
2: yes there's been an interest in what are called the dark traits and the dark triad essentially this is the difference between psychology and psychiatry the psychologist's interest in personality traits things we've all heard about introversion extroversion whereas the psychiatry interested in personality disorders, such as things like OCD, psychopaths, etc. And there's been a, something of a rapprochement between the psychologists and the psychiatrists. But nearly 20 years ago, a psychologist, a man called Paulus from British Columbia, published a paper on what he called the Dark Triad. And he chose two personality disorders, psychopaths, and narcissist, but he added a third one, Machiavellian. So of the personality disorders, he chose just two and added Machiavellian. And this dark triad, has really taken off. In fact, it's now become the dark tetrad because the researchers have added in sadism as another variable. But there are now literally thousands of papers. I, 2013, I published a paper on a review of 10 years down the line, and now it's really taken. People have become quite fascinated by this. And I must make one very important point, and it's really we and the psychiatrists now don't conceive of psychopath narcissists in terms of typologies or types in the sense of he is a psychopath he is not a psychopath but this is a dimension so there's a dimension from not at all psychopathic to very psychopathic not at all narcissistic through you know high self-esteem subclinically narcissistic and clinically narcissistic so on all of these measures we conceive of people being high medium and low on a variable so it's not a if we are saying he is a psychopath, she is a narcissist, rather their score is high on one of these variables. And that's a very important point to bear in mind, because we, in typological terms, we talk about he is an extrovert and she is a narcissist. But of course, it's always dimensional. And that's why in this study, people say, my goodness, you're studying psychopathic coaches. And I said, no, I'm not studying psychopathic coaches. <laughs> I'm studying their score scores on psychopathy. So you and I might be happy, healthy, functional individuals with very good relationships with a reasonably high psychopathic score, which would lead us to behave in a particular way, which doesn't mean that we are immoral or illegal in all our actions. I think it's a very important point to bear in mind. And
1: what are the kinds of behaviours that are behind the dark traits?
2: They are the classic behaviours that you would find described in psychiatry. So the major characteristic associated with psychopaths, when you ask people, and I've done this many times, I'd say to them, well, what is a psychopath? What is the abiding characteristic of a psychopath? Nearly always, they say, lacking of empathy. Well, they're right in the sense that they don't have much empathy, but nor do narcissists and Machiavellians, for that matter. It's not empathy, it's guilt. So the important characteristic associated with psychopaths yes they are risk takers and yes they disobey the rules and so on but they don't suffer freudians would call super ego problems they don't suffer from guilt which allows them to do things break rules abuse people i don't mean necessarily physically in ways that they don't suffer any conscience so it's like a conscience light the issue with narcissists, of course, and we divide these into two categories. By and large, they are divided into grandiose and vulnerable. Think Mrs. Clinton for grandiose and Mr. Trump for vulnerable, that they have self-esteem issues. And the vulnerable narcissist is they both have inflated views of their abilities and self, that they are not well calibrated. They're not very self-aware about their abilities, their talents, their attractiveness. They overemphasize these. The vulnerable narcissist is one which is easily, their balloon is easily pricked. They are easily hurt by very, very assiduous critique of their behaviors, whereas the grandiose narcissist is not. They're very interesting people. Of course, you know, the question is, when is narcissism, when is high self-esteem subclinical narcissism? And when is subclinical narcissism clinical narcissism? And it's, if you meet people with high self-esteem, and you assume that they are that their self-esteem is a function of their self-awareness, I have self-esteem because I know I'm good at what I do, then you tend to be impressed by people with high self-esteem. But what I overemphasize how good I am at what I do, in other words, I'm wrong. I am not as good, not as talented, not as insightful, not as perspicacious, not as emotionally intelligent as I think I am. Indeed, what if I'm Very wrong in that view. And, you know, the issue is how unattractive narcissists are. They're very difficult to coach, and yet they do rather well in life. And I say to people, you know, if you are a good-looking, articulate, educated, psychopathic narcissist. My goodness, you can do well in life. You can really do well. There are many jobs where you'll really, really succeed. And it's because of that observation and that data that we thought, well, maybe this is true of Coaches, that you know, we have the view of a coach as being a deeply empathic person whose job it is to help business people. Of course, coaching is a business, like any other business. People will get into the business, and some of them will not be as self-aware as they think they are. Indeed, not you know, if one of their jobs is to make their clients more self-aware, which is a bit problematic if you yourself are not high in self-awareness. So that's
1: the the background. Excellent. So you were looking at. The impact of the dark triad and allied factors on emotional intelligence, self-monitoring, career satisfaction, and the level of coaching effectiveness of Mm. coaches, which is interesting because I haven't seen a study that's done that yet.
2: What did you find? Well, there was one problem. It's relatively easy and accurate to measure coaching satisfaction, you know, how happy you are being a coach and, and so on and so forth. We did try and measure coaching effectiveness. Now, of course, this is the holy grail. You know, the question is, I might believe I'm effective, but indeed, am I effective? And I think the weakness of our paper was that we measured effectiveness by the judgment of the coaches themselves. Now, that could account for a number of our findings. Satisfaction, I'm quite happy with. It's very, very difficult. You know, I spend a lot of my time working to show the validity of psychological tests of one sort or another. And to do that, you have to, in a sense, get behavioral data. If you say this test is associated with productivity at work, then you've got to measure productivity, or you've got to measure effectiveness. Now, it's like I spent years, indeed, with Michael Argyle in Oxford trying to measure the effectiveness of therapy Does therapy work? Does any therapy work? Does psychoanalysis work? Does cognitive behavior therapy work? And it's very difficult research. You think it's very straightforward. It's extraordinarily problematic because you've got to find a way of measuring effectiveness. You need a control group, and we wouldn't go into that business, and you've got to make sure it's not a placebo effect. In this study, we asked people how effective they thought they were. So that is a weakness, I think, of the study, and we're happy to admit that. It would be lovely to have a good measure of effectiveness. So in the jargon of of experimental psychology, our independent variables were personality. So we were measuring the dark side personality, we were measuring emotional intelligence and a variable called self-monitoring. And our dependent variable was job satisfaction, as a coach, and efficacy. And we thought that there would be a relationship between the dark triad and both of those variables. And we found not entirely what we predicted, but some evidence to support our hypothesis, namely that people who were Machiavellian and psychopathic were less effective and less satisfied, but the narcissists were the opposite. They believed they were more. You would predict that more effective and more satisfied. What was interesting was the idea that the psychopathic and Machiavellian people, those were higher scores, were themselves less satisfied. That they weren't particularly satisfied with being in the job. Now, that was an interesting question. The question was why, what are jobs are they better suited to? But excitement and the complexity of the research study was to look at what is called a moderator variable. So we looked at two, and I'll deal with one which is better, and it's called emotional intelligence. Now, the question is, what is emotional intelligence? And I think you can really sum it up by two things. It's about emotional awareness. Am I emotionally self-aware? Do I know what emotions I'm having and why? And do I know what emotions you are having and why? So it's awareness. But it's also management. Am I able to manage my emotions? And am I able to manage your emotions? So it's a a classic two by two. And so we looked at what is called a moderator effect. That is, with are psychopaths with higher emotional intelligence or narcissists with higher emotional intelligence? Does that have an effect? And the answer was, yes, it did, that emotional intelligence did moderate the effect of the dark side. That is, even if I was a narcissist, with, which is a dark side variable, but I had some emotional intelligence, that that emotional intelligence could, in some sense, modify or moderate that factor. So it's, of course, as always, a more complicated picture than one thinks. You would imagine that coaches have high emotional intelligence, you would expect that that would be a criteria for the job. But of course, with all other jobs, when you measure people, some are more than And the idea of it being curvilinear, and I must explore this idea of curvilinear, but what it means is both too much and too little of a phenomena of a trait are not good for you. So if you take narcissism, think of self-esteem, low self-esteem, people worry about and get, therapy for low self-esteem. And then you have high self-esteem and high self-esteem is thought of as good, but beyond high self-esteem, subclinical narcissism and clinical narcissism. So you want enough self-esteem. And so it is with psychopaths. You want people to be bold enough, mischievous enough, you know, able to confront poor performance. You want them to have guts and to have, you know, and to deal with significant problems head on. And you don't want them to avoid that, which is too low. Equally, you don't want too much of it. And so I think our paper showed, like many others, that you want an optimal amount of these variables. So you want optimal dark side optimal bright side and these predicts behavior so if you said to me i have a coat who you know scores quite high on narcissism chap's very confident and very full of himself or herself and then i'd say well you know this is not necessarily a good thing unless they are very talented but also that they have high emotional intelligence, because we know that emotional intelligence predicts. So it's a slightly more complicated picture than one thinks. But I think the strength of our study was that we got 545 coaches. We got, you know, real people, middle-aged coaches, who are very difficult to get hold of to do this. So in that sense, we could think of it as a rather good pilot study. In the
1: Yes, it was, it's a fascinating study. I think there's a couple of things that may surprise people that comes out of this study. First is that you can get coaches who have relatively high levels of dark triad traits. And the second would be that... People any combination of the dark triad traits can also have higher levels of emotional intelligence.
2: Yes. To go to the first one, I mean these traits are normally distributed. Now, one of the problems with coaching is it's not very well regulated. And so you and I tomorrow, indeed I do it, I don't know whether you do it, but there's no reason to stop anybody putting themselves forward as a coach. And it's a long and complicated story, but I remember on one occasion an organization for which I did some coaching got in all their coaches, because someone had said there was a worry about some of these people. And of course, indeed there was. There was a very serious concern about three people who were sort of masquerading. They had no training, no background in this. And that's part of the problem. That, you know, literally you can put yourself on the web and say, I'm a business coach. I've done a one-week course, so I had a lot of experience. And therefore, one would expect with a large number that there are a few, dare one call, charlatans in the area, and they might see it as an easy way to make money. So if you are a Machiavellian psychopath, you think, whoa, coaching's rather a good game to be in. Now, there are lots of ways in which organizations try and regulate the market and check on the background of individuals. But like everything else, people will slide through. Equally, you might say that you want somebody with not only business experience, but somebody who's been very successful in business. Now, we know, know, if you are, as I say, a good-looking, articulate, educated, narcissistic psychopath, you can probably do well in business. There are a lot of jobs where leadership requires you to be very self-confident and very tough and very Machiavellian to get to the top. Therefore, you've got a good CV. Therefore, you've been successful. Therefore, it looks as if you will be a good coach and you might be a very good coach. It all depends on how much of the dark side things you have, how much narcissism, how much psychopathy and whether they are moderated by self-insight, that's the
1: issue. Yeah, Fascinating. And do you think there's a possibility, you kind of hinted at this, that occupations or endeavours like coaching actually start to attract a percentage of people with dark triad traits?
2: Yes. I mean, what I've noticed is that, you know, people try and reinvent themselves. You know, you might in late middle age find that you are not very successful. I mean, you know, the question is, what is the background of coaches? Where do they come from? What is their history? And I've known some enormously talented, successful coaches who have been good at their job. They've been good business people and they're good at their job. I've met others who sort of weren't very successful and tried to to reinvent themselves you can make a reasonable amount as a coach i've met people who will make more money than they did as a senior executive well this is a very attractive proposition if you can go into a job where you require nothing more than what we're dealing with now zoom or whatever and you can convince people that you know that some sort of talking cure a friend of mine calls coaching expensive conversations that we can have an expensive conversation, it'll be good for you, then this is very attractive to people who have, let's say, less ethical considerations. So it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest that you'll find people in every profession, you'll find them, you know, not only used car salesmen, as one expects, but you'll find in any profession, people with high scores on Machiavellian and psychopath and narcissist, and they can do well. The question is, how high are the Scores and what are their competencies? You know, do they understand some of the basics of, of coaching? And I would imagine there's a number who, like in every profession, you're going to find people who are charlatans and whatever. It'll be true of coaching as anywhere else. The concern is how you as a client detect this. You know, how if I had a beauty parade and I've seen and worked in and indeed appeared in beauty parades, does the client know what? Questions to ask of the coach to get behind some of these dark side facts.
1: That leads me beautifully on to the next question. So, if you're a a potential client of a coach, what kinds of things would you look for in order to assess that you may have somebody in front of you who has these traits? I,
2: I think I would always rely on reports of others. So, what I would want to know from the coach is I mean, I have a number of standard questions. But if you were touting being my coach, I would take down your predictors and say, can you tell me some people you've coached? And so I'd contact them. And with your permission, of course, I'd contact them. I want to know the experience of the observer reports. You know, the idea of 360 degree feedback has been very popular for a long time. It basically means that you have people above you, people you work with, people who are below you, and people who you work as a consultant to. So I would investigate from others reports some of the skills i'm interested in your sensitivity perspicacity interpersonal skills so yeah i'm interested in your story but I'm interested in other people who worked for you. And beware the coach who is loath to give you details of those people who they have coached. They will come up with a number of reasons why ethically they're not allowed to do this. But that's what the, the data I, I would want. You know, it's on initial judgment. It's quite difficult. Even a beauty parade, you've got a person's CV, they appear in front of you. Now well, psychopaths and narcissists, if they are good looking, intelligent, and articulate, appear extremely attractive. Thank you. And get selected, get selected each time, and that's where the problem lies. So you want another source of data. You know, I ask people. I would say, well, how would you know? I've got a series of questions I would ask a potential coach. You know, what does success look like? Can you tell me the theoretical background that you are using? Can you explain to me how your particular experience and training makes you ideal for me? That sort of thing. And listen carefully to their answer. It's like selecting any other professional. You would do it with a lawyer or an architect. But people don't know quite how to do it with coaches. One of the problems, I think, is that organizations do it for you. So you're sitting here in a big organization and they give you a shortlist of potential coaches. Well, that's a very good thing if the organization has been very assiduous and and sensitive to who they put on that shortlist. And my experience tells me that that's not often the case.
1: No, I would agree. Certainly, I have experience of that. So, one of the things that we haven't kind of explored is what the potential consequences are of having coaches with, I suppose, subclinical levels of psychopathy, mm-hmm. Machiavellianism, and narcissism, likely to be.
2: I have a, a friend who shall have to become neighbours who is a coach. And I would describe him as naughty. It's a good word, naughty. The schoolboy, I was naughty. Naughty means <laughs> Means you know the rules, you can jump over the line, but you jump back. It's not being psychopathic. It's not being. This person is very shrewd and insightful about office politics and the way in which these sort of things work. And he's interested in solving the problem of the client. So he's not going to step back and go into some sort of history. He's interested in helping the client, the coachee, define and solve the problem. That's what they really want. And you could see this approach as rather, and I think it probably is Machiavellian. You've got a problem, you want to solve the problem. People are difficult, you've got to... And I think, you know, if I had any particular problem at work as a coach, I would choose him. He happens to be a psychiatrist, but that's neither here nor there. He's very good at coaching because he has a pragmatic, he says pragmatic, approach, which has, you know, a Machiavellian view of human behavior. I would choose him as opposed to other people I know who are very warm and kind and considerate and they would make me feel good, but they wouldn't help me solve a problem. Coaches are not going to solve a problem. They will help you think through a problem. but. In that sense, I can see why some of the darker variables can be very useful and a very good idea. Okay, great.
1: So one of the obvious, and we've kind of touched on this, one of the obvious conclusions of the studies is, you know, screening potential coaches Mm. and the organizations do this. With the exception of the kind of questions, are there other ways that organizations can do this, especially given kind of the explosion in the activity of coaching? Mm. I've just had a check couple of minutes ago and that you know if you go on to LinkedIn and and search for the term coach and look Mm. in how many people's profiles the term coach appears there's over 7 million people that's some screening. What is it organisations could do to kind of help with this?
2: Yeah, I think it's a very important thing. I think I think they need to be very, very clear uh, and help. They need help in what to look for. And I think in selection, you need two things. You need to select in and select out. You need to say, these are the things we want. These are the experiences, education stuff we want. And these are the things we don't want. And these are things we select out for. So we want, if there are signs of this and this, that is a a select out variable. My experience is that organisations don't do this very well. They don't. It's heavily based on reputation. And paradoxically, it's also based on price. That the assumption is that price and quality are highly correlated. My expense, they're not highly correlated. In fact, they're almost negatively correlated. So I think we should start with people in the area, usually HR, but it could be someone else whose job it is to find coaches for the organisation, that they are very insightful about what they want and why. Remembering that coaches can be very, very convincing. And, you know, if you're a narcissist, psychopath at an interview, you can do extremely well. You can come over with confidence. You can tell lies. You can look good. And you've got to be quite assiduous in what questions you ask, but also what background factors you look for. So my experience, as I said, of organizations, they don't do this particularly well. So lots of people get through the net to be part of the short list that is provided to a professional from whom they choose their particular coach.
1: Yeah, That's interesting. There was actually an, another study that was published, I think it was last year or 2019, showing that there's very little correlation between qualifications and yeah. coach effectiveness either, which kind of backs that up. That doesn't with surprise
2: me at all. And many of them are very eager to get a two week, three week, five week course. I mean, I think the psychologists would say that some have the third eye, that they are psychologically insightful. You will have friends who, you know, who've never done it. A degree in anything in their life related, mm. but they have perspicacity, insight, and so forth. And others with lots of qualifications don't. But you know, there's a scram for getting qualified and if you look at the organizations that provide quote they're all over the place some of, again there's attempts to regulate this market and i know of a couple of courses i strongly recommend they're not cheap and they're not short but people will go through i was advising uh, an ex-student of mine the other day some preposterously expensive course uh, uh, a three-week course which gives her a diploma in something or the other and it looked to me complete nonsense but, of course, that's another way of making money, is to give people through some qualification, which gives them a piece of paper. As I said, the frustration for organizations which do this well, and I'm associated with two or three of them, I see their frustration because of the non-regulated market and the inability of the potential client to ask the questions which differentiates the bogus training from the serious training.
1: Yes, yeah. And again, I've seen so many diplomas and things from organizations that have gotten, there's no validity behind the diploma whatsoever. So just one final question, just Mm -hmm. in terms of, I suppose the dangers of ending up with a coach who have higher levels of dark triad traits, what would you say that those potentially are?
2: That the coach effectively is manipulating you. The, you know, one of the things that I've noticed indeed with some of my own coaching clients is, you know, you usually agree to a certain number of sessions And so forth, and then there is the idea of of continuing. Now, I remember one of the first coaches I ever did, oh, probably twenty years ago. I said, you know, I think we set ourselves a target can we achieve the target. Uh, And he said, yes, and he said, but I like I'm enjoying this, and I would like it to continue. And I said, well, I'm happy to do that, but you know, you're not paying; your client is paying. Are we getting any good value for money? Now, the worry is if you are my coachee, and I'm a psychopathic I of course want to keep you on as a client You know, it's good for me to have the money regularly rolling in and in that sense it's the termination of the contract that we set ourselves something to do and we end it now there would be clients there would be coaches who for all sorts of reasons would not do a good job in themselves and they would be in you they'd be interested in other factors but it's this idea of making you dependent you know there's a joke that Woody Allen has been in psychopath. Therapy for 37 years, and he's still not cured. And I think the thing I've noticed is the idea of making people addicted to it, that they want you to make them need you. Now, if I was a psychopathic and narcissistic, and you were my client and paying me a lot of money, my goodness, I don't want to lose you. So I'm going to keep doing things to keep you as my client without Helping you, which is what my aim was, or should be in the first place.
1: Yes, yeah, so kind of an increase in manipulative behaviors within the relationship. This has been fascinating, Adrian. I really appreciate your time. I know you're a very busy person. Are there any final things that you'd like to say about this? such
2: an interesting area. And, you know, to be able to research coaches is not easy. And I would encourage anybody to try and do that to get hold of people. There are wonderful coaches, like, you know, everything is a normal distribution. There are wicked and bad people in every area as there are in coaching, but to try and understand the relationship and to get real coaches and to get some sort of profile to understand why some of them are more effective than others. I think it's less interesting. Why they're satisfied that's interesting enough but you know some people are good at their job they really really do make a difference and to find that you know magic in what causes that what is the particular set of skills and traits do they bring to bear on a particular individual to let this happen that I think is worth a lot of research effort and money.
1: Yeah exactly and this is the first study that I've seen that's looked at coaching from this angle. Thank you very much, Professor Adrian Furnham.
0: I really appreciate it. This episode of the Organizational Success Academy podcast has come to a close. Subscribe for more research briefings, ideas, and thinking to help you and your organization find success in any situation. Remember to rate and review this podcast so that we can continue to bring you the best and very latest research thinking and ideas available. We will see you in the next episode of the Organizational Success Academy by the Oxford Review.